Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hi, I'm Reza Aslan. And I'm Rain Wilson, and I'm dying. Oh my, oh no. Yeah. What? What's going on? Reza, I want to have a very serious conversation with you. I'm dying. Dude, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And so are you. What? And so are you and you and you and you. <laughs> I'm pointing to all the listeners out there. Because <sighs> we're all going to die. That is maybe the one thing we know we all have in common as human beings. I mean, do we really have to talk about this? Honestly? Yes. This is the most important conversation you can have. And this is only one part of it. We're talking about the fear of death. Are, are you are you afraid? Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid of death? I should say. You know, I like to think that I am not afraid of death, but I haven't really been faced with it, and I haven't had to go through the death of a loved one. So, it's it's easy for me to say, oh, I don't really have a problem with it. It's a part of life. I can tell you that when you know our elderly dog just died last month. And her everything was failing, and her kidneys were failing, and her she could barely stand up, and her quality of life was sinking rapidly. We had a veterinarian come to the house and give her a shot so that she passed in our front yard. And we wrote poems to her, and we sat with her in her favorite spot, and we said prayers, and we meditated, and we were in nature as she went from whatever her doggy consciousness went from this world to wherever doggy consciousnesses go, the happy hunting grounds. And I, you know, I was sad and I cried a little bit, but um, some people get so caught up in the death of their animals. I mean, just, uh, just total grief. You know, it's funny, like I've, most of my life, I haven't been afraid of death at all. Uh, you know, for a large part of my life, you know, high school and uh, when I was a kid, I, I was religious. And so, I, far from being afraid of death, you know, I welcomed it. I was like, come, death, come, and I shall have the true life which awaits me that on, sounds the, Shakespearean. on the other side. Um, and, then, uh, and then after I stopped being religious, I still wasn't all that afraid of death because I was like, well, look, I mean, this is the life that you have, and then it ends, and worst case scenario, you become nothing, and so there's nothing to worry about anyway. And best case scenario, you join nature. You become one with the universe. And that sounds nice. And I'll tell you what changed is that I had kids. Ah. And suddenly, out of the blue, I became scared to death of death. <laughs> like, I remember very clearly being on an airplane once, and there was some sort of, like, serious turbulence. And in the past, you know, when that happened, I would think to myself, well, you know, we go down, we go down. That's a bummer. But it is what it is. Right. And also, what a way to go. What a way to go. I always think about like a plane crash. That's not bad. It's kind of cool. You got like two minutes of hell. Like, yeah. Ah! yeah. And then boom, it's a fireball. It's and actually, it's, yeah, there are you know, definitely worse ways, less yes. dramatic ways to yeah. go. But I, what I remember very clearly, and I think my boys were just, my twins had just been born, is that the plane started shaking. 
and I freaked the fuck out in a way that wow. I, in a way that I never had before. Yeah. And I was like my heart was racing. I was scared. I was so scared that I was going to die and I was like what is this? I've never had this feeling before. Mm. And I realized cuz of my kids. Cuz I have kids now and suddenly I'm scared of death. And and so here's here's what I find fascinating is that I would say that that experience is shared by the vast majority of us. Mm. Like uh, just an overwhelming fear of death. You know, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to yep. face it. We don't we don't want it in our house or yep. in our lives. We want to sort of turn away from it. And yet, you said it right. It's like we're all we're all dying. We're all going to die. Yep. Can't can't ignore it. We let's not be in denial anymore. Now we have this guest. Okay. This this incredible woman. Her name is uh Elua Arthur. Yep. And she calls herself a death doula. My name is Elua Arthur and I'm a death doula. I help people with all of the emotional, practical, and legal aspects of preparing for and transitioning through death. So if you're someone like me, who not so much afraid of death, but just refuse to even think about it at this point, uh, this is the episode for you. So we're going to talk a little bit with um, Elua. She is the founder of Going With Grace, which uh, supports people through the whole process of dying. And and then she also trains other death doulas across the globe. She's, uh, you know, she's on this mission to, to get all of us to face this, uh, this gigantic fear of death. Can't wait. I got into this really serendipitously. I met a woman on a bus in Cuba that had uterine cancer, and she was just a couple years older than I was. And during that bus ride, I asked her a lot of questions about life and about death and what her death would mean. I had her look at her body in the grave. Don't ask me why I thought that was okay to do to a perfect stranger, but I did. And we had a really rich conversation. next to you (laughs) on any kind of transportation. You really don't want to be next to me on a flight. Yeah. Yeah. And I started realizing that you know, we're all going to die, right? But we're not talking about it. Like, this was the first conversation I'd had with somebody, a serious conversation about mortality, about what her life meant, about what her death would mean. And I hadn't asked myself those questions ever. I was a philosophy minor in college, but it still never really come up for me about me personally. Theoretically, I'd had the conversation plenty, but I'd never thought about my own life and death. And so we had this wonderful 14-hour bus ride. And then at the end of it, I well, somewhere in the middle, I felt very strongly that I wanted to help people prepare themselves for dying. Because even though she had this very serious illness, she didn't have the proper support through her medical team. She had a psychiatrist in her oncology program, but he was talking to her about living with disease. They were not talking about the possibility of dying from this disease. And that, to me, felt like a huge failing. And she was opening up. And I get that there are ways that you can engage with strangers on buses in foreign countries. Without you... bringing up their dead bodies. Yes. <laughs> I, I, there, are, there are those ways. Sure. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Not my way. Yeah, we went straight for it. We totally went for it. And it was beautiful. And that conversation really shifted the trajectory of her life and ultimately her disease. She's still living. And also shifted mine because I, I practiced law beforehand. I was working at the legal aid doing nonprofit work. And then... I was sick. I had a deep depression. And on this bus ride, things finally started to click for me. And I was like, oh, okay. There's another way to do society. There's also another way to do my life. Wow. Yeah. And the other way to do my life is to live in consistent relationship with my death. Because that creates possibility for looking at the meaning of my one unique singular life. I I don't have, I don't know what's on the other side if there is. I have ideas. I have really strong beliefs myself. I don't know. But what I can experience right now, I have some evidence for. This and side. so this, I can do this while I'm here. I find myself often on the life side of death because for me, it's an opportunity to look at living and what comes afterward, if anything, I don't know. So you're talking about just living as present and as deeply and fully as you possibly can 100%. every day. And that, I think, in and of itself is a spiritual practice. One of the things that's really um, just really kind of blew my mind is this well into the 20th century, funerals took place in the home. 
right? Which means that you would often live with the dead body of, you know, some family member. Like it would be in the living room for a while, you know, until finally it was taken away and buried. And so there was something normalizing about the idea of being in the presence of a dead person. And then, of course, what's taken over is this massive death industry, right? The purpose of which is to sanitize the whole thing, right? right. Like, let's let's take the dead per- person out of your sight. You don't even have to worry about it. And you know what else? We're going to, like... Inject pump, them. Yeah, we're going to, like, remove all of their, their fluids and replace it with chemicals. And we're going to, like, put makeup on them. We're going to make them look like they're not dead. And then we're going to give you, you know, 30 minutes... Uh, in this safe space to kind of look upon this dead body as though it were still mm. alive so that we can remove the the remove you from death. And then what that has done, and the stats are there to to prove it, stats that I'm not going to actually cite. So you just take my word for it, goddammit. Um, is that we have become more afraid of death. I'm gonna as cite a these result. stats. According to Chapman University's 2018 survey of American fears, 56.4%, that's very exact, of Americans are afraid or very afraid of people I love dying. And that's up from 38% in 2016. That's nearly 20% jump. You have interfaced very much with this fear of death and the death industry. Uh, tell us more about that. So for starters, I'm always cautioned against using the term funeral industry because it makes it sound like this industrial complex and they're coming for us and blah, 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 blah. In my experience, it is very much an industry. I mean, we can take all the power out of the word, but it did swoop in and shift how we die and how we relate to death and dying tremendously in the past hundred years. I think that the way that we do it now does not allow us to interface with dying at all because the death happens within half an hour or so, maybe an hour if there's traffic, somebody comes in and takes the body away and we don't have an opportunity to be with it and to understand, like to see this body as just a vessel. Mm. Because once you watch life leave a body, things start to change, not immediately, but there is some perceptible differences after a while. And being with the body of somebody that you love after their death, I think, creates time and space for us to start to process and start to reconcile the fact that life has left. But when the body is just taken away, then it's kind of confusing. It's an intellectual exercise, right? You you know that something has happened. Yeah. And then your grief starts as a result of this intellect rather than being able to watch the process happen. One of the practices that we do is we support families in caring for bodies at home. So washing the body after the death has occurred, dressing it, preparing it for whatever's coming next, either they're getting buried or cremated. And I find that when we involve family members in the process, it really, it, it gives them a chance to, to care for somebody that they loved one last time and to start to see the color leave their hands, start to watch the cheeks sink in and start to really come to terms with the fact that life has left, the death has occurred. I've only seen one dead body up close, and that was my wife's grandmother. And she was unfortunately like embalmed in all the traditional kind of Methodist, mid-American, white suburban ways. And But it was a very uh, powerful experience to be next to her dead body and to you use the word vessel i was really struck by the fact that oh her name was alice and it's like that's not alice i was looking at this body i was like that's not alice that is a vase that is a vessel um that's not that's not her it's just there's something else that was ineffably alice in her being alive that's just not there. Now, I might be colored or prejudiced by certain, you know, belief systems that I have, but I was just, it was kind of meat and potatoes. There was nothing kind of mystical about it. It's like, oh, that's not her. That's just a, that's just a fleshy thing that doesn't work anymore. I've heard that experience from across faith traditions. People looking at a dead body and saying, wait a minute, that's not my dad. (laughs) 
Have you studied death from a lot of different cultures? I'm just wondering, like, what modern Americans can learn from indigenous cultures or ancient cultures about death that would help us be better at dying. I mean, Reza brought up the fact that it's really only been in the last 60 years that we've been pickling dead bodies. I mean, we had dead bodies in the backyard and in our living rooms, and we bathed them. And we, you know, when you, the reason that people had 12 kids is because they were sure that six or eight of them were going to be dying in the first year of life. I was going to say, in my tradition, both uh, the Islamic tradition and the sort of traditional Iranian tradition, so the Islamic tradition, yeah, the body dies and immediately the family he washes it, wrap it, wraps it in a cloth, and just puts it in the ground. You right. know, no like $14,000 gold-plated, right. you know, silk-lined coffin. Just get that body in the ground as fast as possible. In the sort of uh, ancient Iranian tradition, so-called Zoroastrian they tradition. They burn the bodies. No. Well, they leave them out for the vultures. That's right. You just leave the body out on a hill somewhere so that the vultures and the and the dogs it, can come and, and eat it. And it immediately joins the, the yeah. biosphere, exactly. yep. you know? Back yeah. to the earth. But anyways, get back back to the question. What In your study of death, what can we learn as modern Americans? All of this. That, A, there are so many ways to do it. And that our way that we start to believe is the way is not the only way. That we can approach it from so many different perspectives. Since all the traditions really differ and... Well, they all differ, but I think underneath most of them is that the body is a vessel and it can give back if we allow it to. And also we get to take time to be with the body if we choose. Um, Culturally, that's what the States, I think, really has an opportunity to work with. This, like, rampant death denial is very sad. Mm -hmm. And what we can learn from other cultures is it's uh, as much a part of living as breathing is as growing fingernails is. Well, let's get deep then. What is, in your view, the difference between living and dying? Oh, I think they're the opposite sides of the same coin. I don't think they're all that different. I just think that we have context for one. We don't have much Mm. context for the other. Well, that's a good answer. Ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything about me, you know that uh, I like the game of tennis. I like to play tennis. I like to stay hydrated during tennis. I need to keep my energy up. Sometimes I'm playing two, three-hour matches. Liquid IV helps me jumpstart my game. It clears my headspace, gives me energy. You hydrate faster. It's more efficient. It contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange. Did you know that? More vitamin C than an orange, more potassium than a banana. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks, has no artificial flavors or preservatives. Less sugar than an apple. It's made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, vegan, free of dairy, gluten, and soy. It is on a mission to change the world. Also, the company is donating 4 million servings in response to COVID-19. Their products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV has donated over 11 million servings globally. So grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide. You can go to Costco. That's one way to do it. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and you use the code MILKSHAKE at checkout. That's 25% anything you order. When you get better hydration today using promo code MILKSHAKE at liquidiv.com. Folks, when it comes to saving time and working more efficiently, it's the little things that start adding up and hogging time in your day. Grammarly Premium gives you real-time suggestions on your writing so you can get to the next item on your list in record time. And listen, I know a lot of you out there are like, grammar, I mean, what is this, school? The difference between somebody taking you seriously and somebody not taking you seriously is grammar. And with Grammarly, you can get things like clarity suggestions. It'll help you get your message across quickly without repeated or unnecessary words. You can get vocabulary suggestions. So like no more searching for synonyms. You teach, Reza, do you suggest to your students that they use uh, Grammarly? Oh, yeah. Grammar is about communication. It's about how you you communicate yourself, your thoughts, your ideas. Even with the free version of Grammarly, you can be safe from embarrassing basic spelling mistakes or, or punctuation mistakes. But Grammarly's premium version 
That has all these time-saving features that help you write more clearly and efficiently. You can streamline your workload with seamless integration into Microsoft Office, your internet browser, your phone, more. You don't have to embarrass yourself with like silly grammar mistakes when you're sending out emails anymore. Hit send with confidence. Get your point across more effectively with Grammarly Premium. Get 20% off Grammarly Premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash milkshake. That's 20% off at Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash milkshake. I have a question. Oh, Go, Amy. Amy. Yeah. Thank you. If if dying is a part of life, two sides of the same coin, are are we just all dying right now? I think. Are, are we just all sitting here dying and having this conversation? Kind of. You know, I always ask people, when do we begin to die? And nobody has a solid answer. Some say when we're born, but then new cells are being made. Some say when you are in recognition of the fact one day you're going to die. When you have a terminal illness, and I use air quotes around the word terminal because we're all terminal, when do we begin to die? I can tell you. Tell me. 53. What happens then? <laughs> that's I'm where st- I'm is right starting now. to die. That's where I... That's where First I, of all, let me just say what a brilliant business plan this is because it's like, well, we're all dying. Right. Like, right now you are dying. So therefore, call the death doula. Ding, ding, ding. Now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I work with healthy people, too, I should say. Yeah, Once so what's people... that? Yeah, tell me about, like, if a healthy person calls you and is like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm fine, but I would like Make an end-of-life plan. A middle-aged couple or something like that? Many of my clients are. A 53-year-old make... actor sure. slash podcast. With children. You make a solid end-of-life plan. Write down all the practical things. And through that, almost always gets to the emotional and the spiritual. Just by getting really clear on who you want to make your decisions for you when you can't, what you think about life support, what it actually means for you, how you want to be cared for, what you want done with your body. What what about your possessions? Do you have any sacred sentimental possessions? What are the stories behind them? Who do you want to enjoy these things after you die? What's going to happen to your wedding ring? What are you going to do with your pets if you have any? Um, all your important information, your passwords, where's your birth certificate, the title for your car, and then a life review, look at the thing, the meaning that your life has had, things that you want to pass on or say or do or things that you want to you want to say I'm sorry to somebody that you never did. Throughout history, um, you wrote about this in your book about God, Reza, about uh, the, one of the evidences of the, of the spiritual impulse of humanity is the fact that people have always been buried with their stuff as if they are going on a journey. Um, they're buried with a sword or they're buried with their pet dog or, you know, a, a brooch or a map or a, a paddle like they're going to row somewhere. What would we all like to be buried with? Mm. I would like to be buried with my science fiction book collection from the 1970s. Oh my God, you are such a nerd. <laughs> you are such a nerd. Well, I'm not good. laughing at it's the suggestion. It's a great thing. I'm yeah. laughing at him calling you a nerd. That's it's, awesome. It's true. I fully embrace it. So does that I've mean got you Isaac don't? Isaac Asimov and Michael great. Moorcock, and we're gonna all go on this ride together. So you don't want anybody else to enjoy those things after you can't oh, the Damn way? you. Oh, mine. Damn you. Keep it for me. Okay, you're right. I'll give those to my son and <laughs> I'll just get buried with a Dwight bobblehead. How's that, America? <laughs> yes. I don't want to be buried with anything because I don't want to be buried. I just... Um, what do you want? I don't know. I, You know, or if I am going to be buried, I'd like it very much sort of in that Islamic tradition of just sort of put me directly in the ground and let me just kind of feed the earth, not be this poisoned vessel inside of a sealed box that will take up space for eternity. And you um, won't decompose. Yeah. Well Ugh, either, so God, that's gross. terrible. So I was reading that monarch butterflies last year went down by 84% in the state of California. So I would like to be buried under milkweed thistles that feed the monarch butterflies and allow them to reproduce so that my body is part of the natural cycle of things. You said, like, uh, you, had, you had said something once to the effect of, what you do basically is that you help people who are close to death, whatever that means, um, on what it looks like, which I think is so fascinating. Like, what does death look like? It's a really good question because none of us actually really know, right? It's such a it's a hard concept to get your head around what your ideal death would be because it's such an unideal situation for most of us. And so I try to help people get comfortable with the idea of the deathbed. 
and craft it the way that they'd like. Would you like to die at home? Would you prefer to be in a hospital? Do you want to be surrounded by people? Do you want to be alone? Do you want your dogs in the bed? What does your deathbed look like, even though you might not really want to think about it? Oh, my it? God. That is the greatest question I've ever heard in my life. It's a rich one. What's going to be part of our, our uh, final questions? Like, yeah. What does your deathbed look like? What does your deathbed look like? Amy? My deathbed is enormous. It's like a California king. California king. You live in New York City. It should only be a, a single. <laughs> it, it will be, my deathbed will be the size of my entire home by the time we get to that point. <laughs> Just um, like a mattress on the floor. And it will be covered in crisp white linens and all members of my family will be in bed with me and will all somehow find some way to spoon. So there won't be any animals, I don't think. So I gotta I gotta be honest. Like I'm, I was sitting here. I was I assumed that eventually somebody would ask me that question. What does your deathbed yeah, look like? Good. And I was kind of sitting here thinking about yeah. how to answer that. And like and the, the first thing that comes to my mind is yes, of course, my entire family and my wife and my kids and all this stuff. And then suddenly I had to pause and sort of confront something. And it just suddenly occurred to me that you know if I am let's say I'm dying from some degenerate disease, I don't know if I want my sons to see me that way. Look, I'm going to get a little bit personal here. I usually don't talk about this, but not that long ago, my dad died. And I still haven't had to figure out a way to kind of kind of understand how to, how to mm. process that whole thing. But when I think of my dad now, I always think of him as this kind of weak, sick bag of bones on a deathbed oh. and I can't get past that image. And so suddenly I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't want that kind of deathbed all of a sudden. Shit. I have a question to ask you. Yeah. What did your dad teach you about dying through the way that he did it? I, I, I'm, I'm, I wish the answer was going to be like positive and, and enlightening, but the, get real, Reza. the truth is I think the answer is how not to die. Juicy. So as a father, well, I think as a parent, a big part of your uh, mission, I don't have children, is to show kids, well, at least to give them en enough space to figure out how to do this earth on their Whoa. own, right? And so your father in his dying was still doing the thing for you by showing you how not to do it. Either we're showing people how to get it done or how not to do it. Wow. You know, you talk to and see so many people right when they're when they're truly facing death, like staring death right in the face. Are there patterns in in how what people are seeing or hearing? Are people all talking about the same thing? No, not overall. But I will say something that comes up more than any other is this internal knowledge that death is coming. I think a lot of people that come to me have to have some awareness that they're going to die, right? But for a lot of people that have a serious illness and it looks like treatment isn't working anymore, maybe they've been on hospice, even though it is an intellectual knowing that death is coming, I think there's also, it's coupled with an internal one, quiet moments. Yeah, I'm dying. I had one really interesting case where the family called me and they wanted me to come in and talk to their brother who had, I think it was a brain cancer. And they did not want me to say that I was a death doula. They wanted me, we came up with some name, like a special disease interventionist or something. So I went in, I talked to them. Uh, they asked that I talk to him. I was in the room alone with him for a while. And he said, hey, I know that I'm dying, but can you please not tell them? Wow. And I thought, mm. wow, look at that. They had an idea. He knew they weren't talking to each other. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. And we don't want to make people uncomfortable by even bringing it up. Yeah even though it's happening for all of us all the time. So then how do we ease that anxiety? How do we address the fear that we all have of dying? I read a really good quote by Khalil Gibran yesterday. I actually posted it on the internet because that's where all the good quotes are. Uh, that said, oh God, I'm going to mess it up. But the, the point is that our anxiety comes not from thinking about it, but rather our inability to control it. And so it's about surrender. Well, it's about talking about it first. This really helps. 
And then it's about surrender, ultimately. Once we can get more comfortable with the fact that I can't control when or how or why, even really, um, unless I choose my own ending, it all remains a mystery. I think you got the, the quote exactly right. Did I? I just Googled it while you were talking. Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. Yeah. So that talks to me about a, a kind of a brave surrender and serenity that we just don't know and to embrace the not knowing. A hundred percent. Because what else? I can't know. I can't. How do you want to die? Oh, gosh. Oh, I love this. Um, my final moments? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to have a disease mm. that so I know that my death is coming. Any specific disease that you, you would choose? Ooh, no, I know the ones I don't want. Okay, right. Right. Don't want Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. Brutal. I would like to have some awareness that my death is approaching. I would like to be in a bed in my own home or outside on a deck. I want to feel breeze in my hair. I want to see the sun change. I like maybe around sunset to see the colors change. I wish I could hear some water. I want to hear voices not directly around me. I want to see nature more than anything. But I'd love to know that the people that I love are nearby. Mm, I'd like to... I'd like to really sink into the gratitude for this really magical, really juicy life I've lived and and surrender to this next adventure, whatever it may be, gracefully and with some style. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. How That's do you want to die, Rain? Uh, can I, I'm just, I'm going to take what that. She said? Did, uh, can I say ditto? Ditto. <laughs> True story, Rain. I'm like almost 50 years old. Yep. I don't have a doctor. What? I haven't had a doctor in like 10 years. The other day I asked my wife, I was like, shouldn't we have a doctor? What about ZocDoc? ZocDoc? Tell me more. Look, you download the free ZocDoc app. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C. And it's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment, Reza. You don't need a phone book. You don't need to ask your friends. You go to ZocDoc. You can search for local doctors who will take your insurance you can read verified patient reviews and book an appointment in person or online a video chat. You'll never have to be on hold with a receptionist again. So whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, in your case, psychiatrist would be super helpful, eye doctor or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. Wait, this is like basically made for me. I mean, how weird is it that I have to find out about ZocDoc in the middle of, of reading ad content I'm I'm I am signing up for Zocdoc right now. Tell me how to do it. Okay, you're going to go to zocdoc.com/milkshake and download the Zocdoc app to sign up for free. Reza, listen, every month millions of people use Zocdoc, and I'm one of them. You are going to be one of them as well. It's my go-to whenever I need a doctor or medical specialists. Zocdoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Milkshake and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's ZocDoc.com slash Milkshake. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Okay, if I'm going to be 100% honest, like obviously I want to die in old age. That would be nice. I'd like to live a very long, long, long life. Uh, I'd like to have, you know, my faculties and all that stuff. But if you're asking how would I like to die, I'd like to die in a very public way. Like maybe maybe saving somebody else. Like that's that's how I would li- like I would love to You want to be die. on the 11 o'clock news. I want to be on the 11 o'clock news. I would actually love to die. I really truly would love to die at age, let's say 90 for lack of a better number. And I'm playing King Lear in like Shakespeare in the Park at like uh, in San Diego. And I'm like, blow winds and crack your cheek. <laughs> And like keel over on the stage. Standing ovation. In front of a thousand people. Standing ovation. And they think it's the performance. And then the ambulance comes. And everyone is asked to. And then the understudy is brought on to finish the show. And the show must go on. But uh, just from my theater background, I truly, there have been a handful of actors that have died on the stage. And really, that's the best way to go. Epic. Epic. Yeah. I think about how cool it is that some people get to die doing the thing that they love. Can I notice what the difference I just realized between the way Rain and I answer that question and the way that you answer that question? Like your your brain functions differently because you are constantly surrounded by death. When Rain and I answer that question, what we actually said wasn't how we wanted to die, but how we wanted to be remembered for dying. Ooh. Like it's all about legacy. Like we're <laughs> we're constantly thinking about how people think about us. And you were just like, well, no, I just it's about me. It's about me and, and the death. sensation. So like, is it how much of uh, is that involved in the idea of death and dying? It's less about like the journey that you're going on now, and about how. Other people will think about that journey, will think about you. People do care a lot about legacy and how they're remembered in their death. But we're leaving a legacy all the time, right? The Mm. legacy is not optional. Whether or not we die on stage or you die a very quiet death at home, it's being written with every action, with every smile at CVS or not. We're writing our legacy, how hard I loved, the big things I did, yeah, but also was I an asshole? Alua, before we end, uh, we do a little thing called a lightning round. Life's big questions, lightning round. I'm going to start us off. Describe your soul in 10 words or less. Sunshine, golden, turquoise, hot pink, sparkly glitter. <laughs> that is the most colors. That specific was awesome. answer. I love it. Do you pray? No. Don't tell my parents. <laughs> what would you want your final meal to be? Oh, well, you know, I have a perspective on this because the body stops taking in food and stops processing it at some point. So without my doula perspective about what happens with the body, it'd probably be French fries. No, we want to hear your doula perspective. Okay, the doula perspective is that I will stop eating probably like three days before my death altogether because the body can't, the the organs are shutting down, the digestive system shuts down. And so I don't. I don't want to be taking in food anymore because it's going to be too hard for the body to process. But what about like a taste, like a taste of like dark chocolate, just a little? Maybe a little bit on the, a little bit on the tongue and Mm. then wipe it off. Mm, French fries. (laughs) (laughs) When was the last time you ugly cried? Oh, gosh. Joshua Tree, July 6th. Specific. A couple days ago. Wow. Or a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. July 6th, Joshua Tree. Yeah. Dare I ask? What happened? I got my heart broken earlier this year, and I decided I was finally, like, putting it all to bed. I decided it was going to be over. I'm done being sad about this. And in the middle of it, this bird popped around, and then I looked away, and I looked back, and it, like, flapped a wing, and then it died. I swear to God. So I'm looking at this bird, like, what is happening, bird? Why? What? It was actually dead. I carried it over, let it wait for a while to see if it died proper it had and then i marched it up into the hills underneath some rocks and i buried it and then sobbed his there like ugly snot can't see trying to make it back down the rocks recognizing at least it felt at the time that i was burying this heavy heartbreak and sadness that i've been carrying around with me for a while wow that's what happened and then i learned that it was a morning dove m-o-u-r-n-i-n-g 
A morning. Jeez. So morning was dying. Morning died. Totally. And then I buried it. Wow. Ugly cry. There you have it. There you have it. Well, Elua Arthur, this has been such a so delightful, fascinating, fascinating, forced us to think life about changing discussion. Uh, you can be found on goingwithgrace.com, your website, right? Yeah. For those who want to know more, and you actually teach death doula ing, I kind of wanted to do that class. Do it. I kind of want to do it. Somebody in your life is going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. That sounded weirdly prophetic. Now I'm a little freaked out. Someone in my life is going to die. Someone I mean, in I your life is went going through to die. You're like, wait I a second. Hold on, hold on. My mom, stepson, dad, my uncle. This has been an extraordinary conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Man, that was uh, that was deep. I'm uh, I, f- I feel affected by this episode. It was so strangely intimate. Isn't it amazing how when you talk about death in that way, like how intimate uh, and personal the conversation gets instantly? Yeah, yeah I uh, honestly have never... I don't even talk about my dad's death with my wife, and I just shared it with the literally dozens of our listeners. Well, don't... Dozens is, you know, hundreds. <laughs> I think we're, we might be in the hundreds at this point. Metaphysical Milkshake listeners viewers, wherever you may be. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we love you so very much. We wish that we could hug each and every one of you. Well. Except for, and you know who you are. <laughs> As you know, every once in a while, we take in guests from around the blogosphere, the internet. Uh, if you can leave us a life's big question in the reviews of the Apple podcast review section, uh, we will get in touch with you and bring you on the show. And we have found a delightful human being who has a question for us today. I have no idea what this question is. I have not been prepped, but it looks like it's Mackenzie Smith. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you? Hi, I'm great, guys. How are you? Mackenzie Smith does not sound like a real name. Does that sound like a real name to you? It does not sound like a real name. You know what it is? You know what it reminds me of? It's like the name that you think of for like a tertiary character in a script. Yes. Like, oh, we got we to give that, we got to give the lady who owns the dry cleaner a name. What about Mackenzie Smith? Any truth to any of this speculation, Mackenzie? It's all true. <laughs> I thought so. Mackenzie, what is your life's big question that is eating away at you that you would love to bring to us here at the Metaphysical Milkshake Stand? So my question is, why is the meaning of life? Why do we as humans need to ascribe meaning? Or is the meaning not having a meaning at all and trying to find the contentness of just being? Hmm. So why ask why, basically, is what you're saying. Exactly. In other words, what is the purpose of this podcast? <laughs> like, really? Besides to make loads of money, loads of podcast money. I think there might be a false dichotomy in there. I don't know that someone who truly ponders the meaning of existence is then unable to live in just a deep appreciation, kind of stillness, gratitude, and acceptance of what is. I don't know that those two things need Hmm. to kind of be in conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, the Dalai Lama comes to mind. I mean, I think it's someone who ponders greatly the meaning of life and why we're here. And at the same time, uh, is a great peace. Um, I'm not sure if maybe I'm misinterpreting your question a little bit. That's, that's one thing. And then the other one that it's like, if you go back to basics, I've been thinking about this uh, question a lot recently. Like, why is there stuff? Why is there anything instead of nothing? Why isn't there just nothing, but instead there's space, time, and matter and energy is energy included in that there's space, time, matter, and energy all at the same time. And so why is there space, time, matter, and energy all at the same time? There could just be nothing, but there is a bunch of something. So that is something that is a, might seem on its surface childish. Um, but to me, it's a pretty profound question. And I guess the goal for me would be, can we live in quest of meaning both in a universal context and a personal context. And at the same time, can we just not drive ourselves crazy with it, but just accept and love 
what we have when we have it. Well, but that's, see, that's really fascinating. But I guess what turns me on about Mackenzie's question is, uh, why are we compelled to do it? You know what I mean? Like, why are we, Mm -hmm. why are we compelled to ask these kinds of questions? Like evolutionarily speaking, it's not helpful, right? Uh, like if the whole notion is about, um, you know, the preservation of the species and uh, about passing on, you know, um, certain uh, aspects of your DNA, you know, generations after generation, truly the animal that that doesn't ask a question when it sees the predator coming is the one that survives, right? <laughs> the, the animal who's like, well, yes, but what does this predator mean? And maybe I should, you know, ponder <laughs> the relationship that I have with nature as this thing eats me. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't seem like on the surface that it would have like an evolutionary advantage, this sort of questioning of why, right? But then again, at the same time, part of the growth of our brains, you know, as we, we've talked about this before on the show, like the brain is a kind of muscle, like you have to actually exercise it, right? And, and you can force your brain to do things uh, by focusing it in certain ways. And, and so maybe these kinds of questions, these unanswerable questions, why, is a way of expanding certain parts of our brains, right? Maybe that's how we became at the top of the food chain, not because we learned how to use a tool, but because we couldn't help but ask why. And the asking of the why expanded our consciousness, made us think about things besides the road right in front of us, right? The nut or the food right in front of us. That's Maybe that's the difference between us and animals, right? Is that... It's not about we have consciousness and they don't. We don't know that. It's that we take the time to ask why and they don't, right? That there's there's a question that we are interested in that is beyond just this present moment. Back to what you were saying, Mackenzie, which is like, well, but doesn't that keep us from focusing on the present moment? Maybe, but maybe it's it's the ability to move beyond the present moment that makes us who we are as human beings. Does that, does that make sense at all? Rain, am I just talking out of my ass? I mean, yes, but um, does that make sense at all? We know each other well enough to know that I entirely agree with what you're saying right here, but I would love to throw back to Mackenzie. Have you have you struggled with this kind of like battle between like, why are we here? What is this? As opposed to like, how can I just enjoy my life and enjoy what I have? Yeah, I definitely think I've always kind of had that back and forth. Um, I've always kind of, you know, tried to think more existentially, and I would go down this whole rabbit hole within myself. But then at the same time, I can find that peace um, and just being and, you know, going outside and being in nature and really enjoying being human. Um, But even with that, it's like, I still ask myself, like, why? Like, why to everything, honestly? Um, And I really love what Reza said, his point about, you know, us as humans, like maybe um, talking about like evolutionary wise. And I think that potentially, you know, we're storytellers at heart. Mm. And so we wouldn't have gotten where we are today without, you know, giving ourselves these ideas, like being able to make a fork, being able to make a boat, being able to, you know, create gods in our own minds. Wow, that's better than I said it. I mean, right? That was... Yeah. Our producer, DJ LaBelle, um, put in the chat, Victor Frankel, exclamation point, to be helpful. (laughs) And at first I laughed and then I thought, you know what? It really is helpful because Victor Frankel wrote his most famous book is Man's Search for Meaning. And as a Holocaust survivor and a concentration camp survivor, you know, he witnessed firsthand how people who had meaning survived uh, unfathomable horrors much better than those without meaning. If they had something to hold on to, some hope, some strand, some thread that gave their life purpose. Even if it was the pursuit of the question, why is this happening? Right? Like, why does, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? That, that, see, this is really interesting, Rain, because that's kind of what I was, uh, in my own mealy mouth way trying to say earlier, 
where is that you have you have two beings and one is focused on like the basic genetic instinct to survive so whether that's an animal you know in the woods or that's a hominid 200,000 years ago or whether that's somebody trapped in a horrible situation uh, like a concentration camp right put your head down and survive basic genetic instinct then you have this other being who is willing to go beyond that basic instinct to a more advanced process, right? A, a more advanced cognitive process. Not just how do I get food right now, but why am I in the situation that I'm in now? What does it mean? You know, how do I how do I understand the universe based on what I'm experiencing now? And as you just pointed out, and as Frankel writes, that latter person has a better chance of survival than the former person who is focused on the genetic instinct of, I got to get through this day, got to get through this hour, which is basically our animal instinct, right? So Mm. in my non-sort of scientific way, that's kind of what I was trying to say about maybe this ability to ask the question, why? to go beyond the present moment and our present needs and start to theorize about the future moment and theoretical needs, that that is the process whereby we did survive, whereby we we did become, you know, the, the top of the evolutionary chain. I love everything that's said. I think at the end of the day, you know, we kind of have to have both. There has to be a middle ground. Um, I, I'm not saying, you know, we should we should just stop asking why and there's no meaning at all. But it is very interesting how I think some of us can kind of overdo it and always be thinking about the future, always be, you know, wondering like, you know, what could have, like, what could be different or, you know, why are we in the place that we're in um, instead of just enjoying life? Um, but as Rosa said, you know, we, we do have to, I, I think what sets us apart from animals is the fact that we can kind of like go this deep. So I think just finding the beauty and our brains and finding the beauty in nature. That's like maybe the key. I love that. Finding beauty. Um, uh, we did an episode with my uncle, Rhett Diesner, Dr. Rhett Diesner. Uncle Rhett. Who studies beauty and how beauty can be the focus of our lives. Beauty in its largest context. Truth, beauty, resonance in an Aristotelian way. Mackenzie, thank you so much. You give our lives meaning. Not you specifically, you Mackenzie Smith, but all of you listeners who all of you Mackenzies, all of the Mackenzies <laughs> out there listening, pondering life's biggest questions, writing into us, uh, following us on our socials, and uh, leaving a, a terrific review for us on the Apple Podcast uh, review app, and um, with your life's big question, and we would love to bring more Mackenzie Smiths on the show to continue this discussion. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, Mackenzie. Thanks, Mackenzie. Thanks so much, guys. It's been awesome. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah? I'm not afraid to face your death. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. I think. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid to face it. In fact, I faced it and uh, I did a little task, a little assignment. I wrote your obituary. No. It might happen later today. It might happen in two weeks or it might happen in 27 years. All right. Let's hear this. Reza Aslan died the other day. He was hit by a bus while crossing the street, checking his Twitter feed. It got messy, believe me. He was best known for being an academic, a best-selling author, a Muslim mystic, a producer of television and film, a student of religion, a provocateur slash firebrand, and a mediocre podcaster. But what you probably didn't know is that Mr. Aslan was the father of three boys and was soon to be the father of a daughter. He was the best dad in the world, and he even took his wife and kids around the world for a three-month tour of the world's religions. Along the way, he put a lot of Band-Aids on cuts, let his wife sleep in while he took the kids to the pool, was always ready with a juice box and a granola bar when his sons were hungry, and was in charge of the luggage handling. It is for these actions that he will be most greatly remembered in whatever heaven is. No one up there cares about all that other shit. Wow, that was that was kind of beautiful. Yeah, you like that? Except for the bus part, yeah. Apropos of nothing, I also just 
happen to have also written your obituary. What? You did? You I, wrote one for me, too? How so weird. weird. How did that happen? I mean, it's such a crazy coincidence, but I just, I happened, I happened to have it right here. Uh, and you've got it right there. Okay, yeah, great. I'd love, to, there. I'd love to hear what my obituary <clears throat> sounds like. Sounds like this. <clears throat> Rain Dietrich Wilson's brain died in his home today at the age of 152. His body, of course, died decades earlier in a horrible bassoon accident and has been exhibited as a life-size Dwight Schrute <laughs> bobblehead in the display window of NBC Studios at Rockefeller Center ever since. Wilson's... <laughs> Wilson's brain is survived by his son, Supreme Commander Walter Mackenzie Wilson, and his wife, Holiday Reinhorn, and his artificially intelligent sex robot wife, Holiday 2. <laughs> Perhaps best known as the voice of Gargamel in the 2017 animated Smurfs movie, now recognized as one of the most influential films in American cinema, listed just below Goodfellas in AFI's 100, Wilson enjoyed a middling career as a film and television actor until he achieved lasting fame for his brief stint as Reza Aslan's sidekick on what historians once referred to as a radio podcast, but which we now know more simply as The Ether. According to his loved ones, his final words before passing were, quote, This is one doodle that can't be undid home skillet though no one knows exactly what the hell he was talking about. Uh, Rain's former host, the Lord Emperor Reza Aslan, said, quote, The world is a quieter and darker place without Rain's face in it. That was pretty nice, right? Wow, well done. That, that is beautiful. That is, that is, yeah. that is well done. It's, it's moving. And, and also, there's enough science fiction elements in that that I would, I would want to watch that That's show. That's kind of what I was thinking about. I was like... Yeah, there's, there's a show yeah. where I am a former middling television actor and my brain is still alive and I have a sex robot. And there are weird commanders. And uh, I want to see what the future looks like in your imagination. So, listeners... Have you ever written your own obituary? I suggest that you yeah, do. Do it. Do that. Write an obituary for yourself. What do you hope that others would say about you? What would that look like? Or, or, how about this? Or take a picture of what you think your deathbed will look like and send that or to draw, us. Or draw your deathbed, with what it looks like in your imagination. If you're not so much writing about writing sentences and you're a more visual person, you can draw your deathbed. Either way, face your death. We want to know about it. Send it to us on Twitter. At Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson. Hashtag metaphysical. Just don't do it while you're crossing the street. With buses around. Write in. Tell us what you think about this episode. Hashtag us at metaphysical. So thanks again to our amazing guest today, Alua Arthur. She was so profound and beautiful and simple and wise. Uh, I, I got so much out of this discussion. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. It is edited by Tyler Newbold and audio mixed by Justin Kyle. Original music by Jeff Tang. It was additionally executive produced by Golriz Lucina and Dariush Brizuela Nothaft. It was produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Associate producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Lindsay Cradowell, Sarah Pellegrini, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Shelby Sambo. I can hear your stomach gurgling in the microphone. <laughs> that was my soul leaving my body. It was. It sounded like... A burp? Pork and vegetables. Kind of, yeah. Um, my soul is mostly made of pork.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.